Looking for the best place to buy tickets for any of your favorite teams or sporting events? We've got the spot. Our partner, StubHub, has been the leading ticket marketplace in the world for over 20 years, providing a 100% guarantee with every order. From a worldwide selection of live events, the widest choice of tickets and industry-leading partnerships, StubHub has what you need to purchase with confidence. StubHub, an official partner of The Athletic. As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10. Place your first bet on any game and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. Welcome to the 2023-2024 NHL season Vancouver Canucks edition and we are sad to tell you that this is also the final edition of the VanCast. Yeah, the company's made some changes, and as a result, uh, you're not going to hear a lot of uh, local shows for NHL teams around the country. There might be the odd one, but despite the success of the VanCast, this is it for Harm and I. So we felt that it was fitting that we just get a chance to say thank you to our loyal listeners, to say goodbye to our loyal listeners, on this platform at least, and also to just talk a bit about this Canuck season. There's a lot of excitement around it. Heck, there's a lot of excitement around every Canuck season, but uh, a lot at stake in this one, some changes around this one, so we do want to get into it. So, Arm, first of all, it's been awesome working with you, bud. Yeah, it was it, it was funny because I remember thinking back to even the 2021 shortened 56-game season, which was just miserable. It was awful. The team was, um, was disastrous after the bubble run, but it was also the year where fans weren't allowed in the building, and it was just such a... Are we on the verge of the end of um, uh, at the uh, you know it just felt so dystopian and and as if the world was sort of ending almost that type of vibe and what got me through it the the joy that season of at least being able to chat in the press box with with you and Drance and just have hilarious conversations sometimes making fun of what was going on with the team sometimes pointing out um, observations even even positive trends, a few few that, that were there. It was those conversations that kept us going. And then to have an opportunity to work with you um, in a different capacity, but similar to how closely I've, I've worked with Transfer, uh, it was an absolute blast. And it's it's sad. It's, uh, it's tough for sure. And um, Jeff Demet, our producer, has been a rock through it all. I'm going to miss working with him as well. And um, 
it's tough, but I'm really grateful for the memories that we were able to to create. And and even before I, I or even you were on the show, uh, Transfer and JPAT with the OG version and version, and even going back before that, the podcast. It uh, podcast was deeply meaningful meaningful to me as a listener. So uh, this the way the show has evolved over time and over all these years, it's um, it's had a lot of meaningful impact. So it's uh, it's going to be tough to say goodbye. Yeah, and we weren't the starters of all of this, right? So uh, we are going to get Thomas Drance and Jeff Patterson on for a good chunk of the show coming up a little bit later. Uh, and we can just share some old stories and, and talk about road trips and press box food and all those other things because uh, a lot of that storytelling is really what kept the listeners engaged. I mean, you know, there, there's certainly uh, the ability to dive deep into all things Canuck and get into the micro and get into the stats and, get, and you know, and all the data and everything that that uh, comes with it and where this team is headed. But it it really is the people. It's a chance to connect with with listeners, and that's what's made this show so enjoyable. So I look forward to our conversation with Drancer and JPAD as we bring them in in a few moments' time, so stay tuned for that. But first, you're in Penticton right now, uh, so you're at the Prospects Tournament, and there's been a number of Canucks that have kind of turned some heads here. So why don't we start there? I mean, I haven't had a chance to watch any of the games. I've, I've read the reports, but who has stood out to you? And when we look at this Canuck team, we also see a lot of locked-in spots, right? Like we know what the contracts are. But is there somebody that's going to make the case to kick the door in? Yeah, it may not necessarily be in terms of making the team right out of camp. But what can sometimes happen is if if you're a young guy and you make a really positive impression, the young stars training camp and preseason, it helps you land higher on the totem pole when injuries hit and you're looking down at Abbotsford for recall options. I mean, think of uh, Troy Stetcher, for example, all those years ago. How, how great he looked in training camp for preseason. And then all of a sudden, he doesn't make the team out of camp right away, but six weeks into the season, he's one of their first uh, recall defensemen. And I think out of this tournament, a couple forwards in particular are really standing out in terms of these guys could help sooner than later, especially them being um, older forwards. And that's in McDonough and Archie Baines. McDonough right off the bat, we know that he has the high-end wicked release on his shot, and he has feasted on that on the power play. But even besides that, one quality that he's shown, even going back to the stretch run he had, short cup of coffee in the NHL last season, it's his ability to get open and create shooting lanes for himself that I think is so important for his future sort of NHL prospects because – there are a lot of prospects coming up that can absolutely wire a puck, but the challenge that they run into is as the defensemen become better at taking time and space away, it's like, how do you get the space to actually get it off? And that's where you look at what McDonough's done at Young Stars here. I mean, just look at his first power play goal against Calgary. Even before he has a chance to wire it top shelf, it's the fake which gets the defender to get down in anticipation of blocking a shot. And then McDonough cuts in and with that maneuver he now has the shooting lane but without that move he doesn't have the shooting lane so I think that ability uh even working away from the puck how he's gotten open in the slot generated a lot of chances he's been really impressive he's won wall battles he's been effective on the forecheck him and Max Hassan have just hemmed opponents in um and then Arshdeep Baines as, as well I really believe his skating has improved which is pivotal because Watching him at last year's tournament, he always had the standout hockey sense. He always made such smart decisions with the puck, rarely turning it over, always knowing the right man to 
uh, to pass the puck to or, or even when to carry on an entry. But this year, he's made some plays where he can turn on a dime or just have enough separation, especially with his edge work, to be able to protect the puck. And that's massive because if he's going to vie for an NHL spot, the pace is going to ramp up. And now I have more confidence that he has the feet to keep up. Um, so those two in particular have, uh, have really stood out to me so far. And of course, it's worth noting we're recording this in the morning. So we haven't seen what's happened with, uh, the Canucks final P- Penticton game yet. But those are two guys that I'm looking at and going, could they be midseason NHL options for the Canucks? Yeah. And, you know, certainly at, at places where the Canucks have a glut of players on the wing. But, you know, when you talk, talk about McDonough, he's, he's one of the better players in the organization. He's more important to them. He was a big priority to get signed. Uh, you know, when you look at Baines, he's only six foot, but there's a little bit of, of if he can bring that strength to a fairly undersized forward group, uh, I know that had been a part of his game previously. I think that'd be a big addition. He's got some versatility there as well. So I, th- I think he could be found money for the Canucks if if he can uh, if he can get going. Have you, did you get a chance to get to any of the captain skates? <clears throat> Not the captain skates, no. No, beforehand? Yeah, you know, I've heard the reports on it. I, I haven't had a chance to get to any of them myself. I'm just... I am so looking forward to a couple of players. Number one, Brock Besser. And, you know, we've talked about where he is relative to his contract, that he's underperformed and the Canucks potentially looking to move him. And then him coming full circle because first he wanted to be moved. His agent had an opportunity to look at the contract or to potentially look at uh, trade options. And then Besser decides he wanted to stay, says it was the best thing to happen to him. And Rick talking, talking about how important the summer was. And, you know, according to people that have watched him in skates, that, there, you know, he has leaned out a little bit. Um, you know, I, I don't know that he's ever going to get thin, but he's, you know, he, I think that there has been, uh, he, he's going to be able to come to camp with a different fitness level and put himself in position to be healthy and make an impact. But the other two that I want to keep an eye on are just the two injured veteran wingers. So you look at Tanner Pearson and Ilya Mikheyev, and Mikheyev was this team's biggest offseason acquisition a year ago, right? And, um, you know, four-year contract, and they didn't necessarily overpay, but there was a lot of term there, and he was supposed to be a real speed element to this team. They were going to play him higher up in the lineup than he did in Toronto. They thought there was some offense that was still there, and he could have helped the penalty kill, and none of that really manifested itself because even the first three months when he played, he didn't necessarily show that explosive speed. Then he stopped playing. You know, may or may not be ready for the start of the regular season, and they're kind of debating on how they want to deal with him in training camp, and then the surprise was Tanner Pearson. Because Tanner Pearson, we thought at midway through the summer he was going to be on LTIR. And then Patrick Alvin surprises everybody and tells us just how well he's been tracking. And he's been a full go at these captain skates. He hasn't held back. He has been shooting the puck. And, you know, the one thing with Tanner Pearson is he strikes me as Rick Tockett's kind of player. And when Rick Tockett gets the opportunity to deploy him, he's going to deploy him. And, you know, does that does he live up to those minutes? Can he produce offensively? Does it slow down the growth of other players who could potentially be playing higher up in the lineup? So certainly interested in those guys going into camp. And then the two young wingers in Nils Hoaglander and Vasily Podkolzin, you know, one or both of those guys has got to take a step to full-time NHL status at this point, right? And, you know, they, they got sent down for further seasoning after being given longer sample sizes with the big club in previous years. The club has a lot riding on these guys. So what they do in training camp is going to be unbelievably important as well. Absolutely. And even when you look at Hoaglander, I believe that he will land on waivers if you try to send him down to Abbotsford. Mm-hmm. So that um, that's obviously, he's going to be on the roster. It's just a matter of whether he can establish himself as an everyday player. But you're right. I mean, for, for these young guys in particular, because they're the future, they're the guys that are cost controllable. And when you look ahead into future years, 
you look at a guy like Anthony Beauvillier sort of expiring and he's playing a middle six role right now, whether it's Hoaglander or, or Pod Colson or, or heading into next season, maybe not this year, but uh, a McDonough or, or an Archie Baines, it's, it's got to be one of those younger guys that can help the Canucks be cheap, not, not only just as effective, but also cheaper on the wings um, so that that cap can be reallocated to other parts of um, the roster. And, and it's, it's going to be a fascinating question because we don't know Rick Tockett's sort of approach or philosophy when it comes to developing young players yet. Uh, the way that Vasily Podkolzin was deployed in the final 30 games or so, he was still around that 10-11 minute mark per game despite the Canucks not competing for a playoff spot. Um, so theoretically, if there was ever an opportunity to give a young guy more opportunity, it would have been that. Uh, so hopefully with a big offseason, one or both of those guys has taken a, enough of a step that the coaching staff can trust them because it isn't just next se- this season. It's it's about what happens in, in future years. So absolutely, that's going to be that's going to be pivotal. And then going into camp, I mean, what I'm probably most curious to see is how the D pairs look. Uh, who plays with Quinn Hughes? Is it going to be Ian Cole or, or Carson Soucy? How comfortable uh, would uh, would one of those guys be on uh, on their offsides? Who plays with Heronic, and then as well, what you'll always get in training camp is it's always your first look at who has the edge in the coaching staff's mind for certain spots, right? We saw uh, when Boudreaux revealed his uh, his lines day one at camp, he had McKayev and Kuzmenko on Pedersen's wing, and that was the go-to top line. We also saw Hoaglander skating with AHL guys, and that foreshadowed his limited role with the club. So. Who's on that projected third pair on the left side? Is it going to be Willannon? Is it going to be Hirose? Uh, is it going to be Guillaume Brisebois? So seeing the construction of the D pairs is going to be really fascinating as well. So yeah, a lot of interesting storylines going into uh, going into going into training camp, especially uh, with the head coach, where this is his first training camp with the Vancouver Canucks. And when we talk about D pairs, uh, Tyler Myers is going to be front and center in all of that, right? I mean, whether or not he's in a top four or in a bottom six pair. Or in a, in a bottom pair role where we probably think he's best suited, he's now got five million dollars off his contract. Right, that September fifteenth is coming gone. He's got the bonus. Um, you know, I, I everybody has messaged when when they've had a chance to speak that he's going to be here. Any chance that changes? And and if not, where's this team going to go to if they've got to make any little cap modifications to stay under? I'd be really surprised if he gets moved before uh, the start of the season. I mean, the one team that you're always kind of looking at in terms of after having shipped out Eric Carlson and being really thin on the blue line and could they want a veteran piece is, is maybe San Jose, especially with some of the noise that was uh, out there around um, them and Myers and the Canucks uh, closer to uh, July. But uh, outside of that, I'd, I'd be surprised just because there isn't a lot of cap space right now. And the way Myers played last season, it's not as if a lot of teams are going to have a desire to go out and, um, and get him. And even from the Canucks' perspective, I don't know that there's a ton of like you're not desperate to get off of the deal. You can live with it if he's still on your team because he's only got the one year left on his deal. And hopefully you can deploy him in a third pair role where you've got to keep in mind the last two years. Yes, he struggled enormously, but he's been going up against other teams' top lines. He's played some of the most difficult matchups on this blue line. So if you're going from defending against top lines when Edmonton's coming to town, when Colorado's coming to town, when Toronto's coming to town, to now now all of a sudden perhaps you're in a role where you're mostly playing against bottom six competition. 
uh, that could hopefully do a lot in terms of adjusting him to a role that he might that he's probably better equipped for at this stage in his career and um even the notion of holding on to him and waiting until the deadline and if you're let's say now at a point where you're outside a playoff race well you could retain some money and if he's rebounded in a limited in, in a more sheltered role what could happen is now all of a sudden he could be a trade deadline chip especially as teams accrue cap space they have more flexibility and teams are always looking to add extra defensive depth, especially for a guy who's six foot seven, six foot eight, and and has a lot of experience around the league. He could be a legit asset for you if you wait. So um, I don't think it's the end of the world if he's still on this roster at the start of the season. Do you think any moves come between now and then just from a cap perspective? I mean, they're going to have to do something, even if, even if it's, let's say, burying a high-salaried guy in the minors like whether it's Tanner Pearson or somebody else, um, something's going to have to come. I'm not saying that's necessarily going to be a a trade. Um, And there are ways for them to be cap compliant, but it is very tight. And so, again, could it be a high salary player going through waivers and getting sent down? Um, Especially, again, you just, there's there's such a glut of wingers. I think they're going to, I'm more interested to see what happens in terms of the 23-man roster and um, who stays up, who go, who gets sent down, and um, all the considerations um, around that given can they ice a full 23-man roster? Will they have to go to 22 and um, everything around uh, around that? Last thing I'll ask you before we get to break, because we do want to get to Drancer and JPAD on the other side and have some fun with those clowns, is um, training camp like how, and the preseason. How do you think – the Canucks are going to handle this one under Rick Tockett, given the stakes of how they start. Because, you know, they've got the back-to-back games in Edmonton, and then they go out on a on a tough road trip. They just can't start badly. Like, they just cannot do that again for a third straight year, this time under Rick Tockett. So, do they change things? Do we see more veteran players in preseason games? Like, what happens as this club prioritizes how they're going to start. And does does that even take away opportunities for other young guys to make the team? I, I don't think the micro, like what types of players you dress in preseason games necessarily is going to affect their start. The pressure is totally different, right? When the games actually start and you're looking at the pressure of going up back-to-back games to start the season against Edmonton and their power play, and now your upgraded PK um, on paper anyway is is being put to the test against the league's best power play. It's a totally different animal and you can't prepare for it the same way. I I think the big thing that you're hoping for, if you're a Canucks fan, is from the macro perspective that you don't have any distractions, that you don't have any um, big issues or storylines that pop up. Because you look at last um, last training camp, the vibes were just off. You you look at what happened um, with how many games the team lost in preseason normally preseason doesn't matter right you you win a few you lose a few doesn't really matter but if you're consistently losing again and again and again and even last season there was a whole narrative around poor starts well it's like that's going to be a storyline then so that because that became a distract that became a distraction um the whole mysteriousness around Rachel Dory's departure from the from the organization around that time was a huge storyline. Then you had some injuries mixed in with Alien McCabe and Brock Besser. And those guys aren't ready for the start of the season. And what's going to happen to your top six top six now? There was just a lot of macro um, 
storylines around this team. And, and I think the biggest thing that you're hoping for is just going through training camp preseason. Let's not have anything crazy going on, um, at least in a, in a negative way. Obviously, if if the controversy is, oh, you have an unexpected winger really breaking out and and what's what's that going to mean for the depth chart and it's forcing you to make dif- dif- difficult decisions, that's a totally different thing. That's a good problem to have. Uh, you just don't want to end up with... Um, you just don't just don't shoot yourself in the foot. That's all. Yeah, no doubt about it. Um, and that, that's the thing. I mean, they need to come out at least functioning steadily, if nothing else. And hopefully that leads to the first seven games that can at least, you know, maybe produce six or seven points somewhere in there. And you just kind of continue to tread water until you get really comfortable with what your lineup looks like. But um, let's take a quick break. When we come back on the other side, it is Drancer and J-Pack. Looking for an assist with your credit card, but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 US-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human in customer service anytime. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. All right, one final segment of the Van Cast, and we are delighted to bring in, well, the founding fathers, as it were, Thomas Drance, Jeff Patterson. And, you know, we should probably go back even a step further, guys, because really this whole thing came out of the PatCast, right, which was Jeff Patterson and Jason Botchford, and then Botch brings it over to The Athletic, and then Thomas Drance comes over to The Athletic. And so this has been going on for a bit. So, Jeff, let's start with you and take us back to the PatCast days. Well, I kind of feel like this segment should be called the Nuxcast to like completely bring up full circle because that was the original <laughs> title. Yeah. That was the original title that lasted what, Tom? Like less than a week? Three or episodes. Was it three episodes? Okay. I think it was three episodes and everyone said that it sounded like Nutsack. <laughs> <laughs> so maybe the best decision we ever made was to move on and just go with the van cast and no, it wasn't recorded in a van down by the river, but uh, you know, we, we just we were, we were looking for something that represented the West Coast and the team that we covered and all that kind of stuff. And Nuxcast, yeah, didn't uh, quite work. And it was suggested by some that maybe that wasn't a title we should be using for <laughs> legal reasons as well. So we weren't looking for a fight. We just wanted to get up and running. And yeah, I mean, look, the podcast was the podcast, And I mean, for so many reasons, wish that uh, it had lived on along with Jason and um, but when Thomas came to town, I, I, that first foray for me into podcasting was so much fun and we had gained such a foothold and, you know, yes, we talked hockey, but really the podcast was more about two guys traveling around North America who had the good fortune to cover hockey, but there were so many stories that needed to be told from just the day to day, you know, travel. And, and so that's, I think, what captured the imagination of people was we were pulling back the curtain and letting them in on our lives as we worked our way 
around the NHL. And and so I wanted to continue something like that. And that first year, Tom and I were both out on the road. And so, you know, axe throwing in Nashville, Drancer, and uh, <laughs> uh, Pe- Pecan Lodge in Dallas with the biggest rib fest I've ever, <laughs> ever experienced in my lifetime. And, and I don't think I'll ever top it. And yeah, I mean, look, I, Patrick Johnson and I got a guided tour of Florida's Gulf Coast. We uh, carpooled from Tampa down to, to South Florida and had Drancer there as our tour guide. And that was awesome. And if I recall, Tom, at the start of that trip, didn't we record like early, early one morning? You were still in Vancouver. I think you did like a 5 a.m. Vancast before yeah, you boarded I the did. flight to, to join us on the road. And then I got stuck in Toronto overnight because of an uh, overzealous customs agent misinterpreting my uh, visa, right? Which was like still <laughs> active because I just moved back. So yeah, no, it was, um, I mean, that was, uh, those were great times. Like it was a different era in some ways of Canucks media coverage, especially as, you know, I, I look forward to a season traveling where really it's probably just going to be me when I'm out on the road chasing the team. Uh, back then, you know, you'd, you'd show up and um, bleary eyed at the airport and we'd be, boarding the same flight and <laughs> talking about what would be on the next episode. I mean, those were great times. Yeah. You know what? Yeah. And, or go ahead, Jeff. Well, I was just going to say, and then obviously the world changed and stopped with COVID. And mm. I, I look back now, like honestly, some of the work that I am most proud of in my career was those van casts during the pandemic. Like Tom yeah. and I were busted our ass three a week when no hockey was being played and yet we were still able to have fun with it. We, I think, came up with some pretty clever content. Got uh, Name That Canuck got us through uh, a number of shows. <laughs> <laughs> hey, when, when all else fails, go game show, right? So um, we got Beret. We got Ojik. We had Gino on the show. Yeah. I mean, we had a good time. We did. And, and it was a challenge. Like, make no mistake. I mean, we all in our own way covered it. But, you know, three podcasts a week when you don't have the storylines moving forward from, you know, back-to-back games or three games in four nights or whatever. So, uh, you know, like everybody, got to dig down, get the puck in deep and, uh, <laughs> and do, whatever, do whatever it took. But uh, we ground through it. And, uh, yeah, I mean, I, I think the VanCast in a lot of ways was a nice tribute to what we had started with the PatCast and trying to capture that sort of spirit and imagination. Yeah, there's no doubt. And, and nothing captured it more than covering playoff hockey during the pandemic with Drancer in Edmonton. And Drancer trying to figure out all the all the swear words that everybody was saying. <laughs> well, we ramped up, right? I mean, as the Canucks succeeded, and and you'll remember, we still had two all sports talk radio stations, and they were like jawing at each other the entire lead up. It was super fun. Like it was like a a, a WWE match every day. You logged into Twitter, um, people competing to stay on the air later for the post games, and that was ridiculous. You know, we ramped up. It was so much fun. And we ramped up too. And we ramped up too. I mean, we didn't, you know, the VanCast lived in this space where it wasn't really part of the competition, um, even though, you know, Jay Pat and I were obviously partisans. Um, but, you know, we, we, we were going after every game. Like, we were going after every game. We were doing four or five a week uh, while I was also attending, you know, 12 games a week some days, um, sometimes more. Like, there were, there were weeks that I probably attended a close to 20 games in the bubble. And, uh, you know, the whole time me and J-Pat are, are, you know, figuring out what to do, figuring out what our takes are, figuring out where we disagree. And that was what was sort of fun about the VanCast, both with J-Pat and then 
when J-Pat went to um, Sakaris and Price or the Rinkwide show. And I was so thrilled for him, even though I was sad to lose J-Pat. And, and you were able to come in, Farhan. Like, what was fun about doing the show with J-Pat and then fun about doing the show with you as, as we transitioned was, you know, whether we were doing the van cast or not, whether we were recording it or not, um, at some point I was going to sidle up to Jeff at the rink and we were going to have the same argument that we'd have on the van cast or laugh about the same ludicrousness or, or bet, you know, gum or what have you the same way, uh, whether we were doing the podcast or not. And, and what I loved about the format, what I loved about doing it at the rink was capturing those just slightly behind the scenes elevated conversations and then inviting, you know, our, our listeners who, especially during the pandemic, like really, I felt like we forged a real close bond with a lot of our VanCast listeners then, um, you know, inviting them in to, to be part of it. And the response was amazing. Uh, I was so grateful for the support that the podcast got. And it was just fun to do it with my friends. Like that's something that I'll, um, you know, that I'll always really cherish from a professional standpoint. I just add this too, like during the pandemic, I'd look forward to the van casts. They became like that extra right. zoom yeah. sort of appointment that you had with your buddy. You know, it was like a, a pretty lonely time, I think for a lot of people, but at least I knew three times a week, me, Jeff Demet, our, our producer who deserves a massive shout out, by the way, on this episode, just the best. Um, you know, we, we'd jump on zoom, we'd chat for 10 minutes before the episode started and then we'd, and then we'd roll. And it was something that I really looked forward to. And I think over time, especially as we were consistent with it and still found a way to put out a good product, I, I felt like, you know, our listeners felt the same. Like it was some, it was, um, you know, a, a, a community fire to gather around. And that was something that I just loved, really enjoyed. Well, and it's funny too, just the timing of things is the Canucks go back to Victoria for training camp. I mean, that was the genesis of the whole bubblegum <laughs> bet and Tim Schaller. And that's, to me, the beauty of podcasts. Like I, That whole shtick wouldn't have worked on conventional radio, I don't think. But no. you can go outside the bounds on a podcast. There's no rules. And two guys can you know, have a bet that carries the length of a hockey season over sticks of bubblegum. And again, it was an outrageous ask for the first day of camp for three. Like, not just, hey, can I have a stick of gum? Three. Drancer wanted three. I don't even know how much supply I had at the point. But uh, anyways, <laughs> uh, I, I, I just got to squeeze this one in too. Because, uh, <laughs> and this cracks me up now as I think about it. There's a guy that surfaces in my mentions occasionally who claims that Drance did me dirty at the end of the van cast. And you get... <laughs> exactly. And and he demands that Tom tell the real story, that the truth comes out about my leaving the van cast. And I just... like It makes me laugh and makes Tom laugh, obviously. Um, there is no backstory. Like, I think I've been up, as, up front as possible. The van cast was always a side hustle for me. And when the radio station shut down, like, I needed work. I needed... And, and the athletic... To their credit, we were doing two a week and they were like, how can we help? Can we slide you an opportunity to do a, an extra podcast a week? You know, and that'll bump your pay a little bit, but I, I got family to feed. And so I needed full-time work and I got this offer from Go Goat and Sakaris and Price and I had to latch on to full-time work. So there was never any, like, I, I, I'd love to sit down with this guy. Maybe I wouldn't love to sit down with that guy, but but I, I, in his mind, like, I, I don't understand sort of the genesis of Drance doing me dirty at the end of the van cast because there was no sinister 
story to reveal. We're not hiding anything, but there is a guy out there that seems to think that somehow Drance was, uh, you know, playing a little dirty with the, the end of the van cast. And that's just not the case. I think it's fair to say in a, in a perfect world, Jeff would welcome me back as a co-host and I can promise you, I feel the same. So well, listen, guys, <laughs> I don't think there's any animosity. For me, I was, I, look for me, you know, my memories of the van cast, like I used to love to be on, we get called, all of us get called on a regular basis from podcasts around North America uh, that want us to be on. Like that's just, that just happens. Whereas for me, I'm just like, I was dying to be on the van cast because Remember, I used to go running, right? Like when the pandemic yeah. started, I was running constantly and I would literally stop in the middle of my runs at some point because I just heard, I'm like, oh shit, this isn't live. So I probably don't need to do this this minute, but something would be said and I'd, I'd have to weigh in and then I'd repost the show, because, you know, for me running because I was trying to get a Harmon dial body as we, as we, you know, as we circle Harmon back in it. So when I was getting fit during the pancakes, like Van K or during the pandemic, I should say, as I blend the pandemic and VanCast together, as, as I was getting fit, you know, and, and to be truthful, guys, like just listening to the show with you guys on it, it for me, it was comfort food, right? And when the radio station went up, it was even more important. You know, it, it, was, a, it w was a staple for me, you know, at that time. So it was always a pleasure to be on because you could just shoot the shit, talk about whatever. And it was, you know, I think fun always defined the show. And I know Harmon and I tried to carry that over. And then when Harmon and I did the show, it kind of became a young guy, old guy thing. Right, kid? <laughs> yeah. And I mean, for me, stepping into doing the VanCast over the last year, um, I, I almost had this feeling of, oh, my God, what, what have I got, gotten myself into? These massive shoes to fill in and, and even thinking about the original legacy. Because for me, like, I remember how religiously I used to listen to the podcast in my first year of university. And I, I'd constantly remember the drives from Vancouver to Langley for, for school and the podcast, like I would save podcast episodes for those drives and 45 minutes, an hour would go by just like that. And, and, and it was, <laughs> it felt like, especially at that time, right. When being a part of media was, just a dream. It wasn't like, yeah, I was hustling on it, but it wasn't like I wasn't a part of it yet. It was so cool to be able to vicariously just live through uh, the behind the scenes experience. And it, it just meant so much. And I, and I feel like it, 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 you know, as it continued on to the van cast, especially with, you know, Japan, uh, Japan transfer and then Farhan coming in, I, I just feel like it must have had that sort of, um, presence and, and impact on other people as well because again it was really cool to be able to initially experience just like listening to it as as, as a fan and then in, in a roundabout way um stepping into it it was again it was kind of like oh my god what have i got myself into this uh i have <laughs> massive shoes to fill well you uh, you did it ably as uh, you do with all your work so i'm not surprised but uh, i appreciate the the sentiment, and you know, I think one of the beauties of the podcast was there were other podcasts out there, but it wasn't sort of the clutter that's out there in the digital frontier now. And even the VanCast was a little bit on the leading edge of that curve too. And so, you know, I mean, they were able to gain a foothold, and then, yeah, as you know, Tom said, you kind of you draw people in, and, and you're just trying to bring them along for the ride. Of, I mean. We're all fortunate to do what we do. Even if the hockey's been terrible for you know the last decade, it still provided lots of talking points, and and we cover the team the same way. It's just that we all want to cover good hockey one of these years, and 
maybe it'll be this year. Uh, who knows? But, uh, you know, now, like, you're just vying. There are so many pods out there in the space. And so uh, I've always been a believer that good content will find an audience. And certainly uh, the podcast did, the Vancast did as well. And so I commend you guys for the work that you did sort of picking up and, and carrying on uh, after I had departed. Well, and you, you try as much as possible to do, you know, a lot of storytelling and just make it comfortable for the audience to listen to. It's not always about the drilling down on the details. And for you guys, you're certainly more invested, you know, on the data side and how how covering the game has evolved. And we've certainly got an educated, passionate fan base here in Vancouver, even though they're completely certifiable. Uh, well, you know, whereas for me, I'm, I'm kind of managing two jobs because I've got so much on the football side as well. Um, you know, as, as much as I love covering the games and I, I kind of feel like old man yelling at clouds when I try to explain to people just how different the marketplace was. And you guys touched on it earlier, Drancer, when you talked about going on the road and how this year it's probably going to be just you and maybe IMAC. Whereas before, you know, when I hear people talk about this intense scrutiny of the Vancouver media market, and, and I get that it's out there and the majority of it now is out there in the digital space. But if you talk about what covering the Canucks looks like today on a volume basis versus what it was like just a decade ago, right? Like just when the Canucks were in the finals to, you know, to paint the picture, the Sun and the province each had five people covering hockey each. Then they combined. We had two radio stations that had multiple seats in the press box. Now it's like all Canucks staff. Um, the, the thought that there are these old, hardened, grizzled journalists five layers deep at every scrum covering this team is complete fantasy. Like, it, you know, it these these scrums are like, it, they're child's play in terms of actual volume and the number of guys willing to grind, right? Like, it's just not like it was before, was it, Jeff? No, and look, I'm a radio guy first and foremost, and that's kind of why you know, I, I've taken a podcast because uh, it's an extension of what I've done throughout my career with just, a, you know, less rules and regulations, a little more creative freedom. And, and that's what I love about this space now. But but Farhan, like you and I basically same age and yeah. been on the beat around the same. Like there was a time in the city, like people will find this hard to believe, but like you said two radio stations, there were two sports radio stations, yeah. all sports radio. But, but back, like there were five radio stations, like you know, CKNW and News 1130 and CKO way back in the day. Yeah. And there were other guys from other, like radio used to be a thing. Obviously it has faded away and times change and that's fine. But, you know, on top of all those newspaper guys, there were like so many more microphones stuck in players' faces. And it's just, I, I, I'm with you. And, you know, I think now the lines have been blurred where people talk about this tough market and so much of it is, the noise that's generated in social spaces now too, and people can't separate that from mainstream media. And, you know, that's the beauty of social media is that everybody's got a voice now. And some days it's a good thing. And <laughs> there's some days where maybe that's not such a good thing, but, uh, you know, it's a wild market. It can be a toxic market, but I mean, I'll go to my grave uh, defending this business that it's not all just the media people that are causing the problems because now there are people that didn't used to have voices that are able to be heard and, you know, stir the shit. And hey, I mean, it's all part of the fun and games, but it's not just, you know, these evil media guys that are out there covering the hockey club. Yeah. And then, and Drancer, like, you know, I'm, we, at some point we got to transition briefly while we've got the two of you and while we wrap this whole thing up and just talk about this year's team. But I've, I've had a lot of fun talking about how for you, the last couple of years has been Mexican food. 
right? Where it's like it's all it's all the, it's all the same thing, right? It's it's a tortilla, it's rice, it's beans, it's some form of meat, it's salsa, and then we either fry it, we wrap it, we put cheese on it, like it's it's all the same thing. So for the last few years, for you, I've told you that the the theme of the entire thing, whether it's been print or the show, has been this team sucks. This is why they suck. This is why they're going to continue to suck. And this is why the fans better figure out that they're going to suck and make sure your expectations are right and force them to unsuck. And it's just all kind of with a different launch point. So how are they going yeah, to... I mean, un- I, I, Go ahead. I had a burrito last night. Yeah. It was great. I love Mexican <laughs> I had food. a burrito too yesterday. <laughs> yeah. There's a... Uh, well, end I, of the day. we're all revealing our... I had a burrito in Penticton as well. So. <laughs> <laughs> I had Greek... I, I actually, my son made steak for us yesterday and I had it with, nice. with rice. And yeah, we're... No Mexican food for me, guys. Hey, can I just jump in really quickly? Because you mentioned your son and we're talking about food. Honestly, the legacy of the VanCast in our household is that early on in our recording days, HelloFresh was one of our sponsors. Yeah, that was awesome. Right. And as such, they provided us a couple of meal kits right off the bat early on. My teenage son, like, he decided that he wanted to give it a shot. All these years later, we're still customers three times a week. Really? And my son, my son does like the bulk of the cooking in our house now. He's in grade 12. So we've got like a high schooler that uh, is preparing us meals on a nightly basis. And it is, I track it right back to uh, experimenting wow. a little bit with the uh, HelloFresh and the fact that they support the pod. <laughs> That's so awesome. Thank you to them then. And thank you to them now because uh, I'm well fed. I don't have to do a whole lot of cooking. <laughs> and that honestly is the legacy of the VanCast in the Patterson household. And for for us, it's Drancher and I having a dog. Like we had our dogs hanging out together. <laughs> oh, yeah. Right. Drancher came back. Where, where were you? You were in the States. California. Somewhere. You were driving yeah. up and then and then the dog came by and your wife came by and like and we, we did the VanCast on the backyard, on the, on the patio. Yeah. Well, well, and I'm glad that the legacy, by the way, in the Patterson household is connected to um, uh, HelloFresh. For me, it's Athletic Greens, which I still <laughs> consume constantly. Um, but but hopefully for none of us, the legacy of the VanCast is the Roman sponsorship. <laughs> <laughs> but we had, come on, we well, had Manscaped. Was that. Manscaped was, was good <laughs> too. Manscaped too, yeah. Yes. Oh, we all have, I'm sure we all have eight different versions of the lawnmower and they're totally <laughs> the 3.0, good. 3.0 actually. So, Harm's <laughs> 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 got the perfect beard going. I don't want to ask where else he uses it. But uh, so, so Drancer, this today's episode of Mexican food with the Canucks. Uh, yeah, well, sorry. One, one, one thing though, right? Like, because I think you're right about the Mexican food. Like, I found a formula that works, right? And and by the way, I, I believe in that formula not because it is formulaic, but because. I believe in like having a method with which you pick things up, examine them, right? And and break them down. And and that's what I try to stick to. And what I loved about the VanCast was, you know, and, and the VanCast in all of its iterations was, you know, amidst the Sturm and Drang that has typified the VanCast's run, right? 2019 through to now has not been like a super fun era of Canucks hockey, although we did have the bubble. And when I look back and think about the shows we did, there was a informal calmness, I think, to the tone of our analysis. Yes, you know, I, I get histrionic at the best of times. I get histrionic about Sturden and Drang. What the hell works. is that? It's got to be histrionic. Um, <laughs> Dude, I used to stop yeah, my runs to write down one. your five dollar words. Like, what is that? <laughs> you haven't even touched. You haven't even touched on Van Cast Stur- Bingo yet. 
Sturmendrang means storm and stress, and it's from the German. It refers to, um, yeah, anyway. Sturmendrang, <laughs> Farhan, those are the Canucks' new third-line wingers. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> They've shown great in Penticton. Um, <laughs> the, uh, <laughs> the, the, the fact is, is that I, I always felt like the Van Cast maintained a, a calm, rational tone. And, and I think that's crucial. Like at the end of the day, I think that's an important part of what I always wanted to do. And, and what I think we did really well was, you know, pick things up, examine them and then, and then try to break it down in as, as funny a way as we could or, or as entertaining a way as we could. Um, anyway, as for what I expect from the Canucks this season, you know, it, it feels to me like, um, a, a little bit more of the same. Like, I think this is a team with a true talent level that's probably somewhere in the, you know, low 90s, somewhere between 90 and 92 points. But when your true talent level is somewhere between 90 and 92 points, guess what can happen? Things can break your way and you can be a 102 point team like the Seattle Kraken were last year. But also things can break against you like they did for the Canucks last year and you can be a low 80s point total team. So it's another one of those seasons where, you know, you look at it and you say, hey, the Canucks are improved on paper, but they're as likely to be a, a, a smashing success on that sort of low end of like, hey, maybe they can sneak in and win around as they are to be, you know, living through the same script that we've read from the last few years. So, um, you know, my, my my overarching issue, my overarching concern isn't do they make the playoffs this year or not? Because, yeah, things could break their way and they can make the playoffs. It's can they ever, with all that they've lost here, with all of the assets, future-oriented assets that have been sent out, with the age of their core players, um, you know, the fact that Pedersen and Hughes, as much as we like to look at them and, and or talk about them as young guys, like only have a couple years left in their statistical primes, like will this team ever be great? Is there a path? Uh, uh, the way that management's currently going about it, where this team can be great. And and I'd add one more thing, which is that, you know, for all that this team should be better, I still worry that they're going to be too slow on the back end and too small up front and have the same roster and too shallow in net and have the same roster construction issues that have dogged us for the last three years. So um, I'm prepared for anything. I think this team has a pretty wide Birth in terms of possible outcomes for this season, but I don't think their ceiling has dramatically lifted, and that's that's still what I'm looking for. And Drancer, we clearly know you don't believe that anything can happen. So, so not in the playoffs. <laughs> so, Jeff, how about you? Like, just from a micro perspective, the 23-24 edition of the Vancouver Canucks. What what intrigues you, and what are your expectations? I guess like, I want to believe that Rick Tockett is the right coach for this group, and I'll give him the benefit of the doubt that there were some signs in the 36 games that he coached that, you know, he is demanding the way that they play. Now, does he have the right guys to play the way that he wants? And Tom talked about the size up front. I think that is certainly something to watch. You know, I, I think the money that they had to spend in free agency, I think they spent wisely. Like I do think that they're a better team. I think that they have upgraded that they attacked the penalty kill, but you know, it's fine to talk about uh, addressing the penalty kill in the off season and talk about it here in September. Uh, they open against McDavid and Dreisaitl and you know, the best power play in modern NHL history, not once, but twice. And in fact, three times in the first 12 games. And I'm just, I'm really curious about the feel in this market uh, for all the talk about needing a good start, and then, you know, a relatively tough schedule. 
uh, a bunch of teams that had really good power plays last year uh, against a team that was brutal on the penalty kill, but does think that it's upgraded. But like, you know, how much leash they've made their coaching change. They're not going to make another one, but it is the same fan base. And they have watched this team sputter out of the gate now for years. So how much patience will they have? And what does the start of the season look like with the one at home and then five out on the road, uh, but two Eastern road trips in the first 20 games? Like it's not an easy schedule. And so, uh, again, we're going to hear a lot of it this week and through training camp about how much better prepared they are and understanding the need for a start. But they said all that same stuff last year. And so, you know, when it gets right down to it, it's, uh, you know, what can Thatcher Demko do for this group? Uh, how healthy can he stay? And I, that's one of the things I guess I'm really curious with what is it, six back-to-backs between the start and Christmas? Like, what is his workload going to be? And are they going to run the danger of, you know, just drive him into dust like they did two seasons ago? And so, yeah, I mean, there's lots of storylines there, but I am curious to see, you know, the formation of the penalty kill. What does it look like and how much better is it? Because it sunk this team on way too many nights, not just last year, but the last couple of seasons. If it could even be league average, I mean, that would be a quantum leap for this group. So, um you know, stylistically, I'm kind of curious the way that they play, uh, the penalty kill certainly, and the workload for Thatcher Demko are a couple of things that I'm really going to be keeping an eye on as uh, they get going here on the 11th of October. What are you expecting from EP40? Another big season. Uh, but you saw last year that 102 points from him and 80 points from Quinn Hughes, and they're still 10 points out of the playoffs. Now, we all know the storylines and, and reasons behind that, but, you know, they've got the top-end talent. That hasn't been the issue now but it's also proof that it's not enough. And so, you know, have they insulated that group? Have they surrounded them with better players? Uh, better than last year, but good enough? I guess uh, we'll start to find out here in a couple of weeks. For any of you, does EP40 stay or does he go? And, and how truly dependent is it on this season? Because I believe it is entirely dependent on this, right? That there isn't the agenda everybody else believes there is. Uh, I'm also one of those that doesn't believe you should be morally obligated to stay here if this team's going to perpetually suck. Um, do they have to make the playoffs? Do they just have to merely present as a competent organization? What What are the measuring sticks for him and if he's going to stay or not? Drance, let's start with you. Yeah. <clears throat> Look, I think the I think the Pedersen situation is a fascinating one. You know, the team still has his rights. Like, it's complicated to extricate yourself from a team uh, if you re- even if you really want to. Uh, when you're a restricted free agent, multiple seasons away from unrestricted free agency, Arbright's, um, there's all sorts of weird deadlines that, that a team can use to leverage, um, you know, their own offers and, and make it as appealing as possible to him. However, the one, you know, one of the most powerful weapons in a team's arsenal is, hey, let's pay you big now a full 24 months before you hit unrestricted free agency. The fact that, you know, uh, the, the answer from his camp was, let's wait. Not interested in that uh, is certainly a, a big data point that this team's got, you know, a, a job to do in terms of making sure that their superstar center sticks around. Do I think it's completely dependent on this season? I mean, I think Pedersen's one of the smartest hockey players I've ever covered. I don't think he's ever stepped on an ice sheet and not known where all 10 guys are. I don't think he misses a single angle when he's on his game. I think he's a supercomputer. I think he's AI incarnate on, on an ice sheet. And so, you know, is he going to be convinced by the team limping into eighth and getting shellacked in the first round? Like, is that 
we really think that's going to be like a light bulb moment for a guy that smart for oh well now I'm now I'm happy come on come on like that doesn't make sense I think it's going to take I think that you know and, and this is something that I'm looking for even even more so than sort of applying it to uh, Pedersen so I don't want to I don't want to overfit my own opinion uh, or or sort of um, transmute my own values onto a, an assumption of how he thinks about it but it's like I, I think the bets that this management group have placed, I think the, you know, bringing in Heronic, the, the, the picks that they've made, I think you need to be able to see in the, in the next 10 months, like, Hey, this actually can work. There needs to be a path. When they say this is a path that will get us to being a contender, that needs to be compelling. That needs to be an argument that you actually buy. Not that sounds like, you know, corporate hockey ops speak. And I think right now, when you say like, you know, we're doing things the right way and we're going to play with structure and, you know, we've got, we're going to use college free agency and European free agency to flesh out our prospects. Like, okay. You know, I, I don't feel like that grabs me by the lapels, shakes me and makes me think, well, we're on to something here now, you know, I, but, but at 10 months from now, I think if Heronic has been a huge difference maker for this team. Like if he's a top pair caliber defenseman, if, you know, Kuzmenko does it again and you have a third star forward, like, you know, if, if some of the bets, the big bets they placed look like they're paying off, I mean, that might go a long way toward changing how we talk about this team, how we view this team, what we think of their ceiling and presumably how, how that ceiling is viewed internally, including by perhaps the single most important stakeholder. Um, viewing this team over the course of this upcoming season. Arm, anything you want to add on EP? Well, the one thing sort of just adding on to what Drancer was sort of say, saying in terms of the fascination around what exactly is the sort of measuring stick going to be is um, in the summer, I did a piece sort of diving into the factors that franchise players look, look into when sort of deciding whether to stay or go. And that was centered around the idea of Pedersen Matthews. And I ended up talking to Steven Stamkos, a bunch of top agents. And the one thing that's really interesting that I also think applies to Pedersen here is these guys are so often already thinking ahead about their legacy. And when guys are thinking about their legacy and they want to be remembered as, let's say, one of the best players out of their country, or you know, or they're thinking about future path to Hall of Fame or, or whatever it is, it's not just about being a part of a good team or even a team that consistently makes the playoffs. It's about Stanley Cups, plural, right? So again, it just it, it just sort of reemphasizes how high the bar usually is when you're talking about these mega superstars because these guys have so much leverage where they can basically demand, you know, once once they're actually free agents, they can demand basically whatever dollar and term they want and... It, and the money doesn't really change, right? Like when a guy like Stamkos was weighing his decision of whether to stay or go from Tampa, it, it, money wasn't a huge, huge factor because more or less he's going to earn massive um, money wherever he goes. And so this is where like that elite upper echelon of player can afford to be more selective about factors such as playing on a winning team and, and thinking of thinking about what their odds are of actually winning a championship and um, and everything that surrounds them in terms of their legacy and what it means for respect from their peers and, and how they're remembered. I mean, the way to think about it is, I mean, 
look at how much team success elevates the profile of uh, of players. I mean, look at somebody like Jonathan Taves, remembered as obviously one of the best two-way centers of his time, one of the best captains of his era. But how would we remember him if he was on if, if he was on a, a bottom feeder team that didn't win anything? We would be like his entire legacy, the entire story of his career changes. So um, I just thought that was one of, one of my big takeaways and sort of diving into this topic. And I just think it sort of um, emphasizes again that the bar, you know, is probably higher than just, you know, squeaking into the playoffs. And um, and so that's that's where there are a lot of um, there's a lot riding on this organization to get things right on and off the ice. Jeff, who's your surprise Canuck this year? Who aren't we talking about enough? Not that that's actually possible in this market, but uh, who, who aren't we talking about enough? Yeah, I, I'm really curious to see, you know, is there still another level for Quinn Hughes? And I think there is. And I, I think that's a really tantalizing possibility. Again, I talk about, you know, the star power and then surrounding uh, him. I'm curious to see ultimately who's going to be alongside him and how the defense pairings are going to shake down. But, you know, it, it just, it boggles my mind. And I was reading another sort of, you know, Norris projection article out there today. And like, he doesn't even get a name mention. And it just, I feel like he's being saddled with that all Canadian division season. And that's going to hang with him, even though he's turned the page, he's clearly addressed the defensive side of his game. And yet he still can't get enough love. And like, what will it take to actually put him, you know, on that level playing field with, I mean, we're in this era of, you know, just incredible young defensemen. And I just don't think he's getting anywhere close to the respect that he deserves. And so I'm really curious. I and mean, now the captain, uh, you know, is that any sort of burden? Is that going to give him a little rocket fuel to, you know, take his leadership onto the ice and, and prove to himself and his teammates in this market and ultimately the league? So, I mean, he's just so much fun to watch. Um, you know, if, if, I, if you ask me, like, one guy that I had to lock on for the entire season, I mean, it would probably be him just because he's so entertaining on a nightly basis. Uh, you know, so not underrated in Vancouver by any means, but I am just the dynamics around him have changed with the captaincy. What does that look like? And then, um, you know, I suppose sort of this cast of thousands of wingers that they've got, like who's going to emerge? Somebody's going to have to have, you know, a, a good season. Uh, but there are also enough guys and the same guys that we've talked about for years now that, you know, can they take that step or are they are, you know, are they what they are? And if that's the case, you know, what does that mean for, for this hockey club? So, um, yeah, for me, it's, you know, I kind of come back to what I said earlier about Demco workload, uh, but the penalty kill, like I am curious, like, is there any world in which the penalty kill, which has been a disaster for two years, like these changes that they've made with Thatcher Demko behind them, like, is there a way that the penalty kill could become a strength for this hockey club? And that's probably a bridge too far at this stage, but every year is, uh, <laughs> anything, you know, can, every year, happen. <laughs> well, every year is a new year and, and so how, they do how have new personnel coming in here. Um, but, uh, yeah, I mean, ultimately I, I think that they have improved on paper, but there was such a gap, uh, with 400 point teams in the division that, you know, I'm, I'm, I guess I'm hedging right now that, you know, they'll be better, but probably not good enough to be a playoff team. And then that brings back the you know, Pedersen, just quickly on Pedersen. Like he turns 25 in November. This is his sixth full season in the National Hockey League. If you're a 25 year old, like it, it, if he had 10 more really good years in the NHL, that's 10 chances to win a Stanley Cup. Like 
it, it's not a lot in the grand scheme when you step back into harm's point like you know i mm. do believe that he wants to be measured uh in greatness and and with the peer group that he's in the league with right now and so if this thing goes sideways if they fall short you know that's another year that goes by the wayside for him to have a chance to uh, win a Stanley Cup and to get his hands on the cup and his name on that cup and get a ring and all those types of things. And so uh, he is a shrewd operator. We've known that from day one with the death stare and, you know, not suffering fools and not taking any questions that he doesn't like, uh, you know, lightly. Uh, this guy's all business. And when he sees what Matthew Kachuk did to forge his own path and, you know, take control of his career and then they get to the Stanley Cup final, like, I mean, there's an example right there, a tangible one for him. So... You know, I'm not trying to uh, drum up fear in the market, but I think we all have to be smart enough to realize that more players are taking control of their careers at younger ages. And I just think he is such a, a smart guy and can read the landscape and wants to put himself in a position to win. And if it's not going to be here, then he's not going to hang around to continue to spin his wheels. And he gave them 102 points last year, and it wasn't close to good enough for this team to get a sniff of the playoffs. So, um you know, I, I think he'll do what's in his best interest. And if that's the case and another year goes by, I mean, he'll have given them six really good seasons. There was the one where he was hurt and didn't play a lot. But otherwise, like five incredible years and this group hasn't made any sort of headway. Like, why should he be expected to hang around and just deal in mediocrity? Like, I, I won't blame him one bit if he says enough is enough and I want to go somewhere. I'm going to handpick an opportunity to go give myself a chance to to win the cup. Yeah, I couldn't agree more. Uh, you know, this this feeling that a lot of fans have that he should be obligated and that Vancouver's done so much for him. And like, what are you talking about? Like, he should want to go where he can win. He should want to go to the most competent, you know, efficient organization out there. And he's given Vancouver enough. He's done a lot here. And now he deserves to to put himself in the best situation. And, and, you know, yeah, we always talk about it's so much more rewarding when you build it right from the beginning with a group and all of that. He's done his part, as I see it. Uh, the club's got to pick up their part if they want to entice him to stay. And that's how it should be with elite players at this stage of their career. Because I do think it's not a city thing, right? Like with some of those players, they didn't want to be in those markets specifically, be it country, facilities, whatever. Pedersen loves it here. He genuinely wants to be here. He's not going to take a hometown discount or be willing to have a garbage, not garbage, but to, you know, not have the memorable career that he wants. He's not willing to go that far. But if all things are equal, he clearly wants to stay. They just got to give him a reason. So let's see if it happens. Uh, and so with that, Jeff, we'll give you the last word. Guys, thanks so much for doing this. This was a lot of fun. And for for all of us, we're still going to get to see each other on a regular basis at the rink. Um, just uh, jump in and tell us what you got on your respective platforms. Let's start with you, Harm, since this is your show. Um, yeah, I mean, we'll, we'll see what kind of happens. I'm still, um, Herm's a national guy, by the way. No, he's a national. Uh, no, national I'm not. Guy. I'm, I'm tech. It's quote unquote hybrid. Apparently, uh, <laughs> <laughs> it puts him above Drance. It puts him above Drance. It definitely does it. But, uh, hybrid harm. I like it. <laughs> but yeah, I mean, I'll, you know, obviously I'll continue writing and covering this team and doing some league wide stuff as well. And, uh, in terms of podcast and radio, I'm, you know, still contributing to 650 and, I am also a contributor for Canucks Conversation, so you'll you'll still hear hear all of us. So that's uh, a good thing. J Pat, 
I'm just thinking of hybrid harm. Like you won't hear him coming into the room. But, uh, uh, but just keep doing what you do, harm, because uh, you've been such a an incredible addition to this market. So no uh, doubt, whether it's writing at the league level or you know giving us your Canucks takes, uh, just keep it, keep doing what you do. Uh, yeah, I mean, uh, look, we know that last year was a challenge for me personally, and I had some issues getting into the building. I am led to believe that. Uh, those are behind me, so uh, I'm hoping to be back uh, around the hockey club uh, way more than I was last year, and I'm excited about that because I all these years I still love to be at the rink and around the team. And you know, for me, the games drive the storylines, and uh, so every game does matter to some degree. And uh, can't wait to get her going. And yeah, we'll continue to uh, do my work uh, with Sakaris and Price and rink-wide post game back for another year. So uh, you know, we've kind of found a bit of a home in that space, and uh, let's hope that we have some good games and some good material to work with. And uh, yeah, you guys aren't rid of me. I'll uh, you'll see me at the rink. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, first of all, I just want to thank everyone who connected with the VanCast in in all of its many iterations. Um, the community we were able to forge doing this show meant a lot to me and this show meant a lot to me. Uh, so it's a little bittersweet to be part of this sign off um, for, for a whole host of reasons um, and a whole lot of hosts <laughs> giving their reasons. Um, but, uh, but yeah, you know, look, I'm, I'm on Canucks talk noon to 2 PM on Sportsnet 650 Monday to Friday. Um, I'll be on Donnie and Dolly once a week uh, Fridays, usually and I'm obviously going to be writing at the athletic. So, so good luck avoiding me. I mean, yeah. I, I wish I, I tipped off my cap to you. Um, but you know, look, it's going to be a grind. It's going to be a ton of fun. And uh, I can't wait to be working a scrum with you gentlemen soon, uh, perhaps in Victoria as soon as this weekend. Although I don't know if Farhan might have to jet off to Kansas to, you know, cover Chris Jones, second game or whatever. So, um, but, uh, Close. but Calgary, but, I will be at, I'll be at the opening day. So our fans obviously know this, that uh, medicals are on Wednesday. Opening day at training camp is in Victoria or Thursday. I will be there before taking off to Calgary for some CFL games and then get back on it on the, uh, uh, get back out um, during preseason. But um, Drance, so we're, what do you got coming up in the athletic? Training camp, man. Training camp. This is our favorite time of year. We go, we go deep. Well, and, we go so deep. And you, you know me, like you've got to drag me kicking and screaming into hockey season. Right, like I, yeah. I always say that I love hockey, but only nine months a year. And you know, covering summer hockey for me, it, it does become work at that point. But now that we're there, and now the camp is there, uh, I'm excited. I can't wait to see what storylines this team brings and where where the highs and lows come. Because you know, the one thing with this team, so much so that they actually had to add in more on their media staff with Loring Finney at the, at the top end. Is a, there's always going to be drama around this team. That's the one thing you know for sure. Oh yeah, well, and training camp's such a fun environment. You learn so much. Um, so no, I, I'm I'm thrilled to get going next week. We've had a blast up here in Penticton. Uh, watch for Aiden McDonough and Arch Deep Baines, by the way. Uh, like I'm I'm very serious. Don't sleep on them making a pretty serious case for themselves. I'm not saying they're going to make the team or, or anything like that, but man, this team definitely has some wingers that look ready to play in the NHL. Unfortunately, they also have 13 wingers with NHL contracts or or whatever it is. So um, yeah. Not ideal. <laughs> no doubt. Anyway, guys, thanks so much for doing this. Um, we should let everybody know that you can su subscribe to The Athletic uh, NHL's YouTube channel at youtube.com slash The Athletic Hockey Show. Also get a new, new subscription to The Athletic for just $1 per month for 12 months when you visit theathletic.com slash VanCast where you can read all of Armand Dial's national work. 
and uh, Thomas Drance's Mexican food. Uh, special thanks to Jeff Patterson and Thomas Drance and all the faithful, passionate, loyal listeners of the VanCast. Guys, we have really enjoyed doing this. We're sorry that it's the last one, but never say never. Long live the VanCast. Long live the VanCast indeed. Cheers, boys. A, a pleasure to do this with you, to say bye to everybody, and to get to be on the air with JPAT again. What a blast. <laughs>